It's good to be back at Valley View. I always enjoy being here with you. I enjoy uh, uh, seeing you uh, when and re renewing uh, friendships. Appreciate uh, you for so many reasons. If you're here in the last hour, you have a better idea how much you are appreciated and the reasons why. Uh, Jesus said in Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel. You're helping us do that. We talked about that in the last hour, but in this hour, we're going to talk about that, but not in the world, but in your world. Because in reality, that verse could be translated as you go into all your world. See, very few of us go into the world, but every day you and I go into our world. We have our world, our sphere of influence, our circle of people that we know and, and come in contact with every day. And the same is true for us, right? It is easier in some ways to think about the world rather than our world. But my world requires me to be intentional about sharing the gospel. And one of the things we need for that is to be alive, to be enthusiastic, to be zealous for God. Do you remember how enthusiastic and how zealous you were when you first became a Christian? Maybe some of you today are still so new as a Christian, you can really remember that feeling. Perhaps some of us has been a long time ago and maybe we don't quite remember that, but that zeal, that enthusiasm is what's necessary for us to take the gospel into all of our world. This morning we're going to be talking about a deadly disease called Nazaritis. You may never have heard that medical term before, but Nazaritis is a spiritual condition where a person appears to be alive, but really they're dead. Sort of a spiritual coma. We just heard the text read, Mark chapter 6, and so if you still have that open, stay there. That's where we're going to be. Because many people are in a spiritual coma. There was a little boy at church with his mother one Sunday, and he noticed out in the hall these plaques. Well, the plaques were there to honor the young men from that church who had died in various wars. And he asked his mom, said, Mom, what is that for? And he said, that's for the boys who died in service. And the little boy said, was that the morning service or the evening service? You know, there are a lot of people who kind of died. They're in service and they're on the pew. And maybe you will find that to be the case with you this morning, if you're honest, but are spiritually dead. That was the case with Jesus found in Nazareth. He went back to his hometown and he found people there. Well, we're going to see what happened when he visited his hometown. Because we're going to look at Nazaritis. These people in Nazareth had this spiritual disease called Nazaritis. Now, how do you know you have it? We're going, to in, we're going to step into the examination office of the great physician, and we're going to notice five symptoms of Nazaritis. And the challenge for us is to be honest enough and uh, self-aware enough to see if we have these or if we're starting to show some early signs of Nazaritis. One of the symptoms of Nazaritis is when you hear but you don't listen. Now, I know a lot of wives are thinking right now, my husband hears, but he never listens. I, it, it's that same idea. So you hear a lesson, you hear a sermon, you hear a biblical truth that ought to challenge you, but the eyes are glazed over and it goes one ear in one ear and out the other. It doesn't really affect us. Or you hear something that is a biblical truth, a real thing, and instead of thinking how that applies to me, I immediately think about who needed to have heard that. 
I've literally, not even as a joke, had people after preaching a sermon on marriage walk out and say, my wife needed to hear that sermon. You know, it did, the, the principles didn't seem to register with them. Jesus was speaking truths to these people, and they were hearing what he was saying, but they weren't listening. We need to remember that the Word of God is a mirror to look at ourselves in, not a magnifying glass under which we examine others. Did you get that? Oh, it's so much easier. I would much rather think about what you need to do and how you need to change and where you are coming short. But what I really need to do is examine myself. If you find yourself hearing but not listening, beware, you may have Nazaritis. Another symptom of Nazaritis is when it bothers you when people challenge you with the truth. You know, there are some truths that we don't want to know, but we know we need to know. But sometimes when it comes to spiritual matters, we, we are not all that accepting of the truth that we need to know. And if you look at verse 2, going to back to Mark chapter 6, in verse 2 the Bible says that they were amazed at what he was saying. They, they were astonished. But then notice what suddenly happens in verse 3. The Bible says they took offense at him. Now, I don't know what he said between what's recorded in verses 2 and 3, but they went from being amazed to being offended. If it bothers you when people challenge you with the truth that is indeed the truth, then beware. You may have the beginning signs of Nazaritis. Instead of honestly examining the truth and making change where it needs to be, if I'm offended by that, I need to beware. Another symptom of Nazaritis is you want to kill the messenger. You know, there's always been a, a tendency to have a, 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 a tie between the message and the messenger. And, you know, there have been times when we've heard a message that we didn't like or didn't want to hear, and we push back against it, but not because the message is not true, but because we don't like the messenger. You ever found yourself doing that? I have. I've, I've, I've even done that sometimes hearing sermons. He's speaking the truth, but you know what? I really don't like him. I don't really like how he does it. I don't like something. And so I'm going to focus on that rather than what's being spoken. That's what happened with these people in Nazareth. The Bible says in verse 3, that, so whatever he said in verse 2 that they got mad about, notice what they said. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? This had nothing to do with the message he had spoken, did it? How could this have anything to do with what he was saying? But they didn't like the truth. They didn't like the message. And so they turned on the messenger. Now, from what I can tell, Spencer's a pretty good preacher. Amen. He's, he amends that. We got one, one vote of confidence. You know, if Balaam could be taught the truth by a donkey, I think all of us can learn from pretty much anybody who's speaking the truth, right? But if you find yourself pushing back on a message and shifting the focus to the messenger, beware, you may have Nazaritis. Another symptom of Nazaritis is you're stuck in the past. These people were listening to him, and you have to understand, they had known him all of, well, their life or all of his life, 
And as they're listening to Jesus say these things to, to them, Jesus couldn't get anything across because all they could talk about and think about was the past. And, and that's when they begin talking about, well, this, isn't this you know, the son of Joseph? And, and you know, I can imagine that some of them were thinking, you know, he's just a carpenter. Uh, I, I know his parents. You know, we went to third grade together. I, I know him. And he couldn't get anything across to them because all they could think about was the past. Well, he was past carpenter, and he was past neighbor, and he was past classmate, but he was present Savior, and they couldn't get a hold of that because they were stuck in the past. And I have known some Christians who in their own personal relationship with God are stuck in the past. Because when they talk about their relationship with God, everything is in the past. Oh, yeah, I used to teach a class, and I used to do this, and boy, we were, we were past tense, were really involved in this, this, and this. And somehow, in their mind, because that is in the past, they're okay in the present. And I've heard of churches, I've had congregational leaders tell me about all the good things they did in the past. Can't tell you anything they're planning now, doing in the, the, the present or for the future, because they're still stuck in the past. Well, the past is a good guidepost, but it should never be a hitching post. And we need to be, yes, guided by the past and what we learned in the past, but we need to be driven by the future. And these people could not get past what was in the past. And today, if you find yourself living in or dwelling on what you have done or who you have been in the past and not in the present and for the future, you may. You may have Nazaritis. I'll share with you another symptom of Nazaritis, and it's, it's this. It's when God becomes powerless in your life. Look at what the Bible says. This is amazing, actually, verses 4 and 5. Because this is Jesus, okay? This is not me. This is Jesus. And he said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. And notice what it says in verse 5. He could do no miracle except that he laid his hands upon a few sick people and healed them. Their, their lack of um, amazement by him, their lack of faith in him, caused God to be powerless in their life. The same God, the same Savior that people would follow all over the place and thousands would go through the desert and they were seeking him at the sea and, and they wanted to hear more and they were healed and they believed. All of these other people, but not in Nazareth, not in Nazareth. And if you find yourself in a situation where God has lost power in your life, beware. How do you know? Well, you're trying to handle the problems of life without seeking Him. Your, your calendar is filled with all kinds of things that don't include Him. Your choices do not revolve around Him. These are the kinds of indicators that God has become powerless, not powerless, but powerless in my life. And notice what He says in verse 6. He was amazed at their unbelief. What do you think it takes to amaze God? 
Now, I can tell you a lot of things that amaze me, but, but imagine you're God. What would it take to amaze you? The Bible tells us their unbelief amazed Jesus. And maybe this is the best definition of Nazaritus. The best def definition of Nazaritus may be this. When God doesn't impress you anymore. Are you impressed by God? Don't give me the church answer. I know you're supposed to say yes. That's the church answer. But are you amazed by God? Is God powerful still in your life? And if he isn't, if you've lost some of that, beware. You may have Nazaritis. Those are five symptoms of Nazaritis. But what causes it? It's a deadly disease. It's a spiritual condition that can cause you to be eternally lost. What causes it? As far as I can tell, there are two, two causes of this deadly disease. The first one is familiarity. Familiarity. Do you know why these people weren't listening to him? Do you know what was different about these people in Nazareth than the people in the desert, than the people in Jerusalem, than the people at the sea? Do you know what was different? Yeah, you know, they knew him so well. They had known him all of his life. And they had been with him so much they were not impressed by him. Everybody else was, but not them. And I wonder if some of us, if we're really, really honest, can't admit we've got the same challenge. Many of you, as we like to say, were raised in the church just like I was. I was born on a Sunday and the next Sunday I was in church, literally. And that's a blessing, isn't it? But it's also a challenge because those of us who have known Jesus all of our life, we can easily lose that amazement, can't we? We can. And we can worship without really thinking. We can sing those songs so well because we know them by heart and we don't even have to think about them. We're not challenged by them. We're not moved by them because we know them so well. Beware. If you've known Jesus for a long time, you may have lost some amazement that happens through familiarity. You ever met someone famous and were just amazed? You know, I, I've been able to meet a few people who are famous, mostly while I'm traveling, and, and uh, I don't get too excited, but uh, a couple of years ago I was sitting in the Atlanta airport and right past me walked Richard Petty. He was very easy to spot because he had the same hat, sunglasses. He wasn't trying to hide anything. And I'm not a huge NASCAR fan, but this is Richard Petty, the king of racing, right? So I decided I wanted to get a selfie. We used to want to get an autograph. Now we just want a selfie. And, um, and he walked by, and he went not too far away from where I was, and I decided I needed to approach him and ask for a selfie, but I didn't really know how to do that. I mean, I could have just said, Mr. Petty, could we have a selfie, but I guess I overcomplicated it. All I really wanted to do was be able to do this and not, and still somehow seem like a normal person. But anything but that happened. Um, because I, I fixed in my mind what I was going to say, and I don't remember what it was, but it was going to begin, Mr. Petty, blah, blah, blah. And I started saying it about two steps from where he was standing. I thought that was good timing. And it may, would have been, but as I started talking, he dropped something and bent over to pick it up. So in his distraction, he didn't hear a word I said. But when he stood back up, I'm standing right there in front of him like a weirdo. And he looks at me, 
And instead of going back to my prepared speech, what came out of my mouth was this. Are you who I think you are? That's somehow that's all I came up with. And his reply was, well, I'm not Santa Claus, which was a lot better than what I had, right? So we ended up talking. We got the selfie, and he actually was a super nice guy. We stood there and chatted for five to ten minutes. He was really nice. He introduced me to his son-in-law and two grandsons. The four of them were going to Montana to go fishing, and it was just a nice interaction. But do you know who wasn't impressed, who wasn't asking for a selfie? The son-in-law and the two grandsons. That's just granddad. No big deal. And the rest of us are going, that's Richard Petty. And I wonder how many of us, if we're painfully honest, have lost that same amazement with Jesus. Beware. Familiarity can cause us to have Nazaritis. Another cause of Nazaritis is forgetfulness forgetfulness turn with me in your bible we're going to leave mark 6 and go to second peter chapter 1 second peter chapter 1 we're going to be re- reading verses 5 through 9 together go ahead and turn there second peter 1 5 through 9 this is what peter says now for this very reason also applying all diligence in your faith supply moral excellence and in your moral excellence knowledge and in your knowledge self-control and and by the way if you're thinking Oh, I know that one. Beware, you may have Nazaritis. And in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice what he says here. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having what? Forgotten forgotten his purification from his former sins what he's saying is if you stop adding these moral virtues if you stop adding these christian virtues and you you stop things stop uh, excelling and growing it's because you've forgotten what god has done for you it's really that simple because when we remember we're motivated when we remember we're grateful when we forget we become complacent we become lethargic, and we begin developing that deadly disease of Nazaritis. So how do we cure it? We don't want to live with this. We definitely don't want to die with this. How do we cure Nazaritis? Well, some people might say, well, you know, if, if I could just witness some amazing power from God, something could just blow me away, I would, I would have this great faith, and that would lead to great enthusiasm and zeal. No, it wouldn't. I wouldn't. You remember the Israelites. They witnessed one amazing feat after another. They saw food fall out of the sky. They saw water come from a rock. They saw the sea parted in half, and they walked through it with a wall of water on either side and didn't get wet, and they weren't impressed by God. They grumbled and complained, and many of them never got to see the promised land because of it. Sometimes in the church we think, you know, if we could scare people enough, They'll really be motivated. And there certainly is a a need for a a holy fear. I mean, why else did God tell us about hell except to keep us afraid of going there? And fear is a short-term motivator, but it doesn't last long. You can't stay too afraid for too long. 
sometimes we think well, guilt. We'll make people feel guilty. If you don't do this and this and this, you ought to feel bad. You ought to feel guilty. Again, guilt. Guilt really, it motivates, but it's not a lasting solution. What's the prescription? The lasting cure for Nazaritis? There's only one. You go to the cross. You go to Calvary. And you go to Calvary often. You go to Calvary vividly. You go to Calvary thoughtfully. Because at Calvary, I see God's love for me. At Calvary, Jesus stretched out his arms and said, this is how much I love you. And I can't be the same after I know that. At Calvary, my heart is broken because the, the separation and the suffering and the pain and the humiliation that he endured was because of me. It breaks my heart. Does it still break your heart? Go to Calvary. Because at Calvary, I am amazed by Jesus. He was willing to do that for me. He was willing to do that for you. And according to what the book of Romans tells us in chapter 5, verses 8 through 9, it wasn't for the best of the best. It was for the worst of the worst, for the bottom of the barrel. And yet he acted first because he loves us. This morning, if you sense that you are beginning to suffer from Nazaritis, even the early warning signs, catch it. Be honest about it. Because there, is, there are some signs and there are some causes, but there is also a cure. When I'm traveling, a lot of times I use the app Uber to get a ride. It's, uh, it's usually easier than trying to find a taxi and, and usually cheaper. And So on Uber, you, you pull up the app and, um, and you tell it where you want to go. And it knows where you are. And it'll tell you the price. And then it'll tell you it connected you with a driver, name of the driver, color and make of the car license plate number so you know you're getting in the right one and I was somewhere I don't remember where now but it connected me with the driver and said his name is Jesus and it gave me the name of the car and the license plate and then it said he'd be there in a few minutes and then it gave me an update a few minutes later that shocked me I, I think my jaw literally dropped and I wished I had taken a screenshot, but I forgot. I was so shocked I didn't think about it. Because here's what I saw on my phone. Here's how I read it. Jesus is arriving soon. Now I want you to imagine you get that update this morning. Jesus is arriving soon. How do you feel? How do you feel? I can tell you, if you've got some Nazaritis, that's not the best notice you got. That's not the notification you wanted. But what? He is coming. He is arriving. I'll tell you one more amazing thing about Jesus, and that is that this was the second time he had gone to Nazareth. If you go to Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 30, he went to, back to the hometown one time before this one. And they were so angry at him, they wanted to throw him off a cliff and kill him. This time that we read about today was him giving them a second chance. Isn't that amazing? They wanted to kill him. 
and he gave them a second chance. And today, he will give you a second chance too. Maybe you've grown cold. Maybe you've lost your enthusiasm. Maybe as you go into all of your world, you're not really what you need to be and what he wants you to be. God is the God of second chances. And our Savior is amazing in so many ways. And one of them is he gives us second chances. Today, if you've never been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, you can be added to his body, have those sins washed away. He will be your Savior today. Maybe you've grown cold, and the reality is you know it. You know there's some Nazaritis creeping in, or maybe it has a taken on a full-blown case. Do something about it. And if we can help you in any way today, let us know right now while we stand and sing.